Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone, welcome, super happy to be here today with Peter Skalski in this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Um, this is an honor to have you, Peter. Peter, how are you doing? Uh, busy as usual, but uh, a part of that, yeah, uh, quite well. That's awesome. So I, I always like to introduce people by asking them to introduce their, themselves. So could you describe yourself in a few sentences, whether <laughs> professional or personally? Mm. Okay, it's a packed question, uh, but uh, but I will try to to do it. Uh, yeah, so like you said, my name is Peter. Uh, I am based in in Krakow in Poland, and I am doing uh, computer vision engineering uh, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, I'm quite involved with the open source community. Uh, and also try to educate people in the field of deep learning, machine learning, and computer vision. And a part of that, I don't know, uh, I'm a dog person, I like basketball, and I like to drink coffee. So uh, I guess that's the main highlights uh, of my personality. That's awesome. And so now that we know you a little bit better, maybe you could give us... Um... What are you trying to achieve in the field or in general? Mm, currently, um, hmm. I would say uh, the main kind of like goal right now uh, is uh, it's it's not very structured. It's like to 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 educate people as much as possible, um, and I'm doing that you know on multiple fronts. Uh, either on you know on GitHub by open sourcing some code or uh, creating tutorials uh, for people. Um, so I would say if, if only one thing would uh, need to be on the list, that would be educating people right now. Yeah, the main focus for me, uh, mm. and I I think that it will be my main focus for upcoming few years. Uh, that's how I see that. I see. I see. Awesome. Okay, so thank thank you so much for uh, for those objectives. Uh, I fo I follow you a lot on LinkedIn and and what you share, and you're very present with um, with uh, open source community and uh, sharing your vision about uh, the, the field and how it's evolving. Also sharing some memes uh, that I really like. Um, maybe to the people who are listening, to, for them to identify better uh, to your background or, or to on to understand you a bit better. Could you give us uh, a retrospective of what happened in your career and like the the decisions you made, like like in a few minutes maybe to to mm -hmm. give a bit of context of how you ended up doing what you do today at at um, at Robo Flow. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, first of all, about the LinkedIn, I, I guess I'm spamming a lot. Uh, you know, people tend to not post so many things on LinkedIn, but you know, uh, I, I do it anyway. And I see that people are still find it funny, so it's it's not too much. Um, as for my background, um, the way how I ended up doing uh, things that I'm doing uh, is not the typical one, I guess. Uh, although it's it's much more common right now to have people who are not uh, originally coming from uh, computer vision or software engineering background doing those things right now, uh, and I guess that was the the pattern that you can see lately in Poland for sure. I'm not really sure about the whole world, but in Poland it's it's definitely um, I think so. All in all. I uh, I was definitely not a guy that was uh, coding in the high school. Like I, I am not the stereotypical uh, person who was already uh, killing it uh, in the high school. Uh, back then, I we had coding uh, courses at high school. Um, both mandatory and kind of like uh, the the one that you can you know uh, attend if you want. But be, above the mandatory ones, I wasn't really interested back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was obviously like pretty good at math, pretty good at physics, you know, regular stuff. Um, and I decided to become a civil engineer. Uh, back then, seems like a very good idea. <laughs> um, so I done five years of university in mm-hmm. Poland. It's it's uh, uh, you know we have public schools, so uh, as long as you are you know your grades are high enough, you can you can attend the university. You don't need to pay for it. Just mm-hmm. important to mention, maybe for people for, from US who are listening. Um, yeah, and I, I I finished the university pretty pretty tough. Uh, um, you know, course pretty tough. Uh, um, civil engineering is not not easy, <laughs> um, and I went to work at the construction site because um, in that field you have pretty much two choices: either you go to the um, design bureau, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you go to the construction site. In Poland, it's like design bureau is by default already like you you get paid one third maybe a half of what you get paid on the uh, construction site. Um, and for multiple other reasons, like it, it makes sense um, to to go uh, to construction site. I spent there a year, didn't like it at all. And it's not 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 necessarily about, about the kind of like the work that you do, mm-hmm. but also how it all works in Poland. Like if you go... Uh, uh, and try to pursue a career in that specific specific direction. You basically need to have family or connections uh, if you want to, um, you know, do cool things. Uh, uh, in any other scenario, uh, you're basically, you know, regardless of what you do and how good you are, you end up in this, you know, bucket of everybody, which is mixed and, you know, you either have chance or you don't. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really want to go into the details, but it, it wasn't really pleasant experience. So I decided, okay, I need to do something with my life uh, <laughs> because I don't want to do it. You know, I invested five years, maybe six. 
But all in all, in the context of your whole life, five years is still, you know, you can you can decide, okay, I'm doing something for five years and I still don't want to do it anymore. So I was looking for other options. Um, and, you know, I have friends, uh, fortunately, who were there uh, at the time when I was on the crossroads, <laughs> uh, let's call it. Uh, funny enough, one of those was actually my... Uh, my teacher at, at one of the courses at the university. So he was actually a person who finished civil engineering, had PhD in it, was actually teaching at the university, but then decided I don't want to do it. I will do coding. Yeah. So, so he was one of the people who said, you know, it doesn't matter five years. I spent, you know, 10 years and I still decided to, uh, to start coding. You can still do it. So that was one of the people. And another person was like uh, a person who I was uh, uh, together at the high school. Uh, and he was really good at coding. Back, back in the high school, he was doing the coding and I was not doing the coding. Okay. okay. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, that, that, that can be interesting for you. You know, you have the right approach, you have the right mindset. Um, try it. So I did try it for a few weeks. Um, I decided it's pretty pretty cool. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to the university once again. Uh, and that was like decision that is pretty hard to make uh, the moment that you actually go to an actual job. And then you need to say, okay, I am already this uh, person who has job, who finished the university, and I need to right now go back to the university. It mm -hmm. doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So that's why people frequently decide for boot camps, I guess, because they try to find the easy way out. Um, I went the hard way and <laughs> decided to go back to the university. Um, uh, and, but I switched jobs like almost immediately. Uh, so the, the mo most important part is that even though that I was not coding at all, mm -hmm. basically, I still got the job uh, as a like, very beginner coder um, in PHP and SQL. So that was like, was, you know, that was an interesting time. Um, but I was doing a little bit of JavaScript. And after nine months, I got another job at the software house or no, let's call it software house. But uh, most of the good practices that I learned were there. Um, so I was still earning way less. <laughs> uh, but I, after a year, I was already coding. And I thought that it's a main priority. Like, you need to start uh, code like as uh, early as possible. Because I was already like six years behind. I couldn't... Uh, couldn't spend like three years at the university and then decided, okay, I, I now I will look for a job. Yeah. So yeah. I started to work uh, uh, there, learn JavaScript, which is pretty important because at the university, I got interested in computer vision, first in statistics and then in computer vision. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty hard for a person who is like on the first year of university to get actual job in computer vision. That is pretty hard. That is mm -hmm. pretty hard. Um, it's easy to get job in JS, at least it was. I'm not really sure about the current, you know, situation uh, on the market, but uh, but it was pretty hard for somebody who was on computer vision. So I said, okay, I need to do something to uh, stand out. Yeah, if somebody gets my resume, how do I stand out? Which is a question like I get like frequently. Like how how do I get my first job? 
Like you need to stand out. Your people get the you know resumes like hundreds of resumes. Mm -hmm. What is the different difference? Like everybody done courses. Everybody done courses on Coursera. Everybody was in university. You know, what can you do? So yeah. I was thinking, okay, I I, I learn um, computer vision in my free time. So maybe I will try to kind of like document my learning process to some extent. So I started to do. Um, medium articles and like in theory those articles were pretty basic i was talking about you know how to code a neural network from scratch in numpy yeah so the part in yeah. from scratch was the hook because uh, generally speaking there is like hundreds of articles about what is deep neural network or what is convolutional neural network but the moment that you start to actually write that neural network it, in NumPy without any of the high-level libraries, first yeah. of all, you uh, you learn like learn a lot, like how it actually works. Um, second of all, um, it's way more interesting, and people find it interesting. And to my uh, you know to my surprise, I don't know, I done like two, three, four articles, and at this point, like the next one, kind of like blew up to an extent that I didn't expect it. Like if I would be smarter back then, I would be able to capitalize on that, you know, marketing velocity that I had, but I didn't enough. I did partially, but not enough. Um, so that was the first thing. Those articles that I wrote uh, were big part of where I am right now. The other thing that I did back then, and it's... Uh, I capitalize uh, on that till today as I done my first open source project. Uh, that was done, that was project about computer vision, but done with JavaScript, which was, you know, perfect uh, combination for me mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't really had like enterprise experience with Python. So it was pretty hard for me to write Python code that would be, you know, good enough for other people to use it. But I was pretty comfortable that I can write JavaScript code that other will be able to use. So I was looking for a niche um, that I can exploit, and that was uh, annotation tools. So back then, it was like five years ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, annotation tools for images were like mostly desktop applications. Not a lot of them were written in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can tell the story about how how the whole idea was, you know, uh, implanted in my in my brain. But uh, I decided to go for it. I created the uh, Make Sense, which is the tool that I am talking about, and that tool, I'm pretty sure of it, got me every job that I uh, that I had since that point. Mm. So I would say. Counting my part-time jobs and the contracts and, you know, or other things because I'm, you know, working on a daily basis in one company, but frequently I take like extra stuff. It was like 10 employers. Um, obviously, I got way more offers from that tool, but I take like 10 of them over the last few years and all of them were originating from there. So people were, I saw your code on GitHub. I like it a lot. Maybe you wow. could work for us. Wow. So that's another thing that I feel is very important if you want to stand out. People are saying like, because, you know, 
it's, it's, it's a difference. Some, some people say it doesn't matter because everybody has a demo project, like, because that's what you also do on the boot, those boot camps. Yeah. You also, they, they give you the opportunity to build like free open free projects yeah? mm-hmm. so to give you a some sort of portfolio the problem is that you need to also be able to sell that project like not for money but for the you know for the attention of somebody who is uh, doing that so i mm-hmm. always you know over the time i also started to do reviews of people trying to get into the companies and i was you know browsing through resumes and doing those things like on the other side and i always always look for this sort of activities like whether or not a person has a blog whether or not the person has projects you know what is the activity on github stuff like that so mm. Maybe that's because of my background, but I know that other people had different background and they are also looking at it. The problem is that 99% of the projects that we see on GitHub uh, is, is trash. Yeah, It's either something that is super straightforward and that doesn't show the reviewer any, any strong sides of you because that I, I have no clue. That project can be copied from you know somewhere else because it's exactly the same as you know I don't know Titanic data set and they are doing some form of data analytics. That that's mm-hmm. that's not the project that I'm talking about. Yeah, to be clear, you need to stand out. Your project readme needs to look like it's running. Hopefully, when I try to execute the instructions to actually install it, it will run. If you know JavaScript, the perfect strategy is to actually have a website deployed so that somebody can go to that website and see your project. Um, so the, the less steps somebody has between seeing your project on GitHub and running that project, the better. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. if you have some Scala or Java project that I need to install JVM and I need to go through like half page of instructions to set it up, then most likely nobody will do it. But if you have a website that you can just, you know, click a link and you're there, then it's pretty high chance that somebody will see your project. And if that product is cool, then I guarantee it will have influence. So long story short, I was doing computer vision. At some point I was actually accepted and and I was doing CV. Never stopped doing uh, open source in the meantime. And... At some point last year, I decided to change my job. I sent the resume to Roboflow. Mm-hmm. And the same day, they, the CEO responded with the video where he compared his tool, because Roboflow is also in the business of annotating images. And it was like comparing mm-hmm. his tool with my tool for several minutes, discussing, we did we this this way and you this this way. You know, we like your here, but ours here, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, that's another job that, you know, straight away after that answer, I knew that we are, you know, on the same wavelengths and, uh, you know, openly they said that they are hiring me partially for other things, but also because, because of that tool. Yeah. So to compact, compact everything into one sentence, I would say do things that stand out. I know it's a long process because, you know, I started to write my blogs five years ago and I started my open source project five, five years ago, but it, it kind of like with time you get 
plenty of benefits from the fact that you do those things. So it, it is not like it's not like boot camp where you just go to boot camp and you get the job or not. And it's like super short way of doing things. Here it's it's like an investment. But I think that with that investment, I got way, way better off at the end. Uh even though that it was slow start and you know it's it's pretty pretty hard and you need to have some form of dedication. Yeah. But yeah. So that was that was a long answer, but it's pretty but important necessary. question. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty hard to tell it in <laughs> in in two minutes. Yeah. Okay. I see, I see. No, and, and thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing the entire story. Um there are so many things I would like to um come back and discuss. Um, uh, but I'm really, I think I, I want to deep dive first in the open source project. Mm -hmm. This is something we haven't discussed that much in Let's Talk AI. Mm -hmm. First of all, the fact that you've always took the time to do things on your own time and like build mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. I feel like in your stories, this is something that stands out. Like you've always been looking out for solutions and I, at no point you were like um, frustrated, but not doing anything. Like you, you had a frustration, or you saw that you saw that um, you didn't really like what you did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And instead of like complaining and not doing anything, you just went for advice. I complain a lot. I can tell you, like I, I complain a lot. I just <laughs> do something about exactly, this. Exactly. Like complain I mean. a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> even if you complained a lot. You, you you took actions on this and and this is how you ended up uh, doing what you're doing today and you have so what what is again the name of the project on, on github uh, that you mentioned uh, that allowed you to have a lot of interviews so that people can mm -hmm. look into it mm -hmm. so the project is called make sense uh, or, or the website is basically make sense that AI and that's from that you can get you know to github and mm. all other places uh yeah oh, I feel, so mm -hmm. i feel like this is this is so important and, and this is something that uh, we really want to to enhance it's like a lot of the time people are like trying and this is what you said they're trying to like do courses or do 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 boot camps and and try to to learn try to be better technically but I feel like there are three ways to learn. There are like learning from experts, learning, learning from others and learning yourself. And I feel like when you're learning yourself, the best the, to me, and, and it seems related to your story, the best way to get the most value of uh, learning a new skill is implementing it. And, and I feel like doing implementing things and ideas uh, like you started in computer vision with NumPy, NumPy is is the the most powerful because I remember well I don't want to say uh, numbers that I just wrote on the LinkedIn mm -hmm. post so I will just uh, not uh, say that but uh, I feel like when you build a project and I will uh, ask you your opinion when you build a project and you have a vision and then you try to find how the technology adapts but you're not doing it otherwise, meaning you tr you 
you use the technology just to use the technology. Uh, it empowers both creativity uh, because it's related to, okay, I want to do something. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it yet, but I know that there is a way. And by building those steps, I feel like this is so powerful and this is so rewarding and exciting also in the learning process because every day something new is going to come up, some new error is going to come up. But it is way more entertaining than taking the Titanic data set and run some data analytic things that I've seen or train whatever model, but someone else have done it. And even if I do it everything on my own, if you look into my GitHub and I have a Titanic data set thing, you'll think, okay, it's just a copy paste or it's just what someone else did or, or so, yeah, I just wanted to come back and share because mm -hmm. the importance of, of what you mentioned. And so in my next question, um, I, I would like to ask, so you, we understand better like the, the value of open source uh, and you mentioned a few interesting things, a few keynotes, for example, uh, having your GitHub and having a website running that showcase your skills. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned through your career that you were able to um, move uh, and like even after five years of study starting working, it's not too late to like do some tweaks in your career path. Mm -hmm. So all of that is uh, super inspiring. Um, <laughs> Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. <laughs> no, it is, it is. Uh, and so now what you're doing um, today at, Rob, at RoboFlow, um, yeah, it is a, a super interest, interesting story. My, my next question, I think, uh, I would like to ask you about open source. Uh, I would like to to ask you, can you explain better like how the how the open source community works and what's uh, one of your proudest open source project? And maybe can you take us through the process of building this repo that a lot of people have been uh, I've been looking into. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you have another another example than the one we discussed before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, generally speaking, um, right now I have the first job. That's the first time in my life that I do open source projects and I get get pay, paid for that. Yeah, so nice. it's it is sweet deal for sure. But many people forget about that the large majority of people who are doing open source projects, they are doing that for free. Um, and that comes with few asterisks that we need to remember. Yeah. First of all, somebody is doing that after time, after work. Yeah. Um, there is a high possibility that it's that code is not the best in the world uh, in 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 terms of quality, uh, and people tend to forget about that. Um, second of all, still, even if it's not the highest quality, you still you know you owe, owe respect to those people who are doing that, mm -hmm. and don't don't get paid for that. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I am fortunate enough to have an opportunity to do code that is open source and I get paid, but most of those people don't. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for them uh, for spending the time. So that's that's a 
pretty important stuff. And I know because I, you know, spend more, I, I joke sometimes that the GitHub is the social network that I tend to use the most uh, because I spend so much time over there and I meet so many people along the way. Um, it rarely happens to me, but I know that uh, I, I see many occasions where people were like hostile to maintainers, for example, because of some bug that was introduced accidentally mm. um so just just remember that many of those people don't earn any money many of those projects are maintained by non-profit organizations that don't have any any you know uh angle when it comes to earning money on that project yeah mm-hmm. and he, i could even argue that many large organizations like not necessarily steal that idea, but if that project is maintained under very open source license like Apache or MIT, then it you know it happened many times that suddenly that project is forked and recreated by some gigantic organization who is earning money on on that project, and that is happening. So hmm. you know, kudos and a lot of respect to those who still uh, maintain those projects. Um, so that one thing, uh, second of all, if, if we want to talk about the projects that, uh, I contributed or, you know, created over the years, yeah, makes sense is one of them, obviously. Um, I have one more large project that is directly tied to my blog post. So it's, I learn deep learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also on my on my GitHub, and it has like well over one thousand stars at this point. Even though that I don't do anything, and it still grows uh, for years, I I didn't contribute there. But it was directly related to my uh, my blog post. So all of those NumPy implementation of all of those <laughs> things are there, and people are still using them. Lately, uh, I I'm doing a lot of work with RoboFlow. Um, one of the repositories is related to what I was talking about, which is sharing the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a repo where I create a ton of examples for people. Basically, if there is like any computer vision model that is worth using in 2023, we try to have uh, notebooks about that. And this is the repo that was yeah, started not uh, far ago and we already crossed 1000 stars like last week on Friday, I guess. Uh, and we have one more project which is called Supervision, where, which is kind of like the, the idea on how to give people tools to implement um, video processing pipelines, like without really having a knowledge how to do it. Um, and this is something that I'm super proud of. And obviously, when it comes to contributing to projects that are not mine projects or projects that are, you know, directly related to my uh, employer, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, contributed to a project, you know, I guess the most popular would be Yolo V8, uh, Yolo V5, sorry, uh, which is a project maintained by Ultralytics, and I was helping them for some time. Uh, on the engineering side around the project. Um, And lately I had an opportunity many times to contribute like, 
you know, small pieces into um, projects that are related to papers. Uh, so, you know, mm -hmm. when there is like scientific paper and they release the code. Mm -hmm. That's one of the main problems, I guess, right now when I was talking a little bit about the quality. Mm. Uh, so one of the main problems of projects that are projects related to computer vision and are really projects created at the academia is, is the quality of the code because that's not the primary concern. But if the you know if the paper is really good and it's doing magical things, uh, naturally people start to think about using them, mm -hmm. and then you hit the gigantic mm -hmm. ice. Uh, ice mountain or I'm not really sure how it's called in English where it's basically you know it's impossible to use it uh, because it's from the engineering perspective it makes no sense you need to do a lot of changes and I tend to have right now time to implement changes to those repositories so and lately I have more time because I actually get paid for that. So, you know, my employer is uh, fine with me doing those things in the work time, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah, uh, long story short, open source community is a mix of, you know, random people just spending time after work and don't get paid for, for, for that time. And large companies who are trying to search for an angle to benefit from open source and you need to be able to navigate in that ecosystem somehow and know uh, what and where is happening but you you get that with time i guess that the best idea is to just just look for a repo that you are interested in uh, for a project that seems cool to you i guarantee you that if that project is actively maintained they will have a ton of ideas on smaller and build big things that you can do. So, uh, and and that's also one of the things that stand out definitely on the resume. If you have big names, big big repositories in your resume, uh, it will definitely stand out for sure. So, hmm. so um, would you would you recommend to the people who are listening um, that they look into more repos and? If there is a project that they like, they contact the persons in charge mm -hmm. of the repo so that they can work on a specific park and and then uh, do a pull request and uh, and like being part of the project and then being able mm -hmm. to add on the curriculum. Is this mm -hmm. something you recommend to do? I would say, which is also very important, in all of in my story, I always tried to to use my strong sides. Yeah. So okay. that's something that you need to remember. Like Sure, there are projects that are super cool, but if you don't have any angle that can help you out to contribute to that project, it will be hard for you. Yeah, it will be super hard for you to contribute. And also yeah. super hard for the maintainers to describe what you need to do because that's their job. If they assign you task, um, then they are kind of responsible for you know, making sure that you do it in the way that they would intend it, that to be done. So always, you know, always look for the strong sides, look for the projects that either you use. So I don't know, let's say there's a pandas library, for example. Yeah. And, and you look for the contribution. 
Pandas has a lot of things that they want other people to do, either technical contributions or documenting stuff or, you know, creating examples. They they look for plan, you know, they, they always, I assume that with that large of the project, they would have a lot of things to do mm-hmm. and look for contributors. Um, so just look for a library that you either use or the library that you don't use, but it's close to things that you know about, mm-hmm. or something that it, it is interesting to you and you use that. Yeah. So this should be the the the, the map that you use. It, it shouldn't be something completely outside of your knowledge because that will be like there will be a lot of friction. <laughs> but if that's close to what you are interested in then I think that this is the easiest way. Some repositories on GitHub straight away have a list of issues that are marked like good first issue or something like that. GitHub is promoting this tag on issue right now where where they basically can let you know even without contacting them that this is pretty straightforward problem, low level task. Mm-hmm. Good for somebody who never never contributed into that repository to get a little bit, you know, used to the code structure and all other things. Yeah. But for smaller repositories, it's, it's you know, straight away, there is a discussion section on GitHub. Frequently, that's the good place to start. There are issues, there are, you know, option to comment on those issues. Very, very good way to um get in contact with the with the contributor some projects like if if we talk about larger projects they have uh you know discord channels or slack channels or Mm -hmm. uh jitter channels so all sorts of you know uh, communicators that you can reach out to them and talk Mm. so yeah this is this is the way pick 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 the repo that is close to your interest Look for the issues that seems uh, very straightforward, or contact the you know the maintainers and ask about what you think, uh, mm-hmm. what they think it could be good good starting mm-hmm. for you, and yeah. and that's it. And I, I think that is a major uh, factor when somebody is looking at uh, uh, resumes is the fact that you contributed to those large repositories. Hmm. Yeah. Totally. This is. Um... This makes total sense and I feel like it's a clear map to if you really want to jump some steps and gain a lot of credibility fast mm-hmm. working for big projects and being referenced by specific people can really have a, a big impact. I wanted to ask you about, uh, well, first, I, I want to ask you about computer vision because so far we haven't mm-hmm. uh, we haven't speak too much mm-hmm. in, in I really want to ask you specific things about computer vision uh, and about AI in general. But before that, uh, what is your point of view on open source projects and monetization? Because mm-hmm. those are two things that I always wonder. And, and a lot of people who start full open source, say, they struggle um, having funds or having a business model, or at least this is what I, I think from from my previous talks and sharing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What is your point of view on on this matter? Um, So it's a complicated matter for sure. Um, So I always started my projects as something that was not meant to be monetized. 
I, I, I will disclose that. But, you know, uh, I am big boy and, and I understand that people need to live uh, and, you know, buy stuff and they need money. So I'm absolutely okay with, uh, with having a company that is running open source project. Yeah. Many, on many occasions, how stuff happens is that you open source the project, but you charge people that are enterprise customers for uh, maintaining instance of that project for them. Like I, I would say, a part of the fact that AWS has um, stolen uh, Elasticsearch to some extent. So like Elasticsearch was a perfect example of project that was open source, but the uh, maintainers could sell you the service of setting it up for you and maintaining. Mm. And uh, it's a very popular approach. Okay. Um, and this is like the frictionless approach, yeah? Because it's an open source project. You can do everything you want with okay. that project. But if you want to have support, maintenance, you pay for the services. Okay. Um, and this is kind of like the win-win situation. But it's very hard to have a fit that would be uh, good enough, yeah? Mm -hmm. So that you can give people uh, stuff for free and at the same time um and at the same time you know earn money to run the project and you know stay alive mm -hmm. uh other people uh, try to have restrictive licenses yeah so um releasing project opens in full open source but um earning money if somebody would like to use that project uh, to earn, yeah, to sell products. Mm -hmm. um, and here is, you know, some, a bit of a gray area. First of all, it's very hard for you to be sure that somebody is not using that project like um, not in in a way that is not uh, allowed by license yeah okay, so yeah, I so a example yeah is um, i guess yolo v5 but for example yolo v8 which is distributed under gpl free license and that license is basically permissive as long as you don't uh, sell the product, yeah? And, uh, you know, the reality is that I know that many people use those uh, those products in a way that is not okay with the license. Um, so you have trouble to actually, uh, you know, I can tell you from my experience, I don't want anybody to... My license is allowing you to use... Uh, makes sense completely for free and if you build product with it just mention it just mention the link somewhere in the bottom of the page i don't want anything more and mm. i know that even that small thing is very hard to, uh, to enforce yeah i, I mm. don't i don't even bother to enforce that i don't even bother to write though to those people who are building products using the make sense mm -hmm. what's the point 
like i i don't want to lose my energy and time to, to do that and it's very possible that i wouldn't be even able to enforce that in any way yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's very hard to monetize open source things uh, another thing is that you can partially open source something so have a paid product that has open source features and you basically open source part of it allow people to use it but whenever they would like to have access to those advanced functionalities that you have in a the product mm. then they need to migrate uh, and i think that this is obviously not solution for every product project but i think that it's a fair fair uh, um first situation when you use open source for marketing that's that's essentially it you can run google ads <laughs> or you can run uh open source project and dedicate that money to maintain that project and whenever people would like to have access to uh, um, advanced functionalities then they need to pay and then obviously it all comes down to another factor is like you need to make that product good enough for people to feel that you need to uh they they it's worth to pay in the money and now it's a whole conversation on which which feature do you add in the paid and which feature do you add in the open source part mm -hmm. so it's a it's a very complicated uh, situation still i think that as long as companies do open source work it is important to important to support them i i thank a lot to all companies that are doing open source although I think that it's in my mind people who do it for free mm -hmm. are still like on different tier than the companies that are earning money from those projects like mm. like I have the distinction uh in my head and I always like I don't know pandas for example is a project that is completely open sourced it's run by people who don't earn money from it the library is free like everything about that project is open source so even though that i don't like the api of pandas and it seems to me that it's very counterintuitive and many things makes no sense <laughs> and i can't complain about it i still have a lot of respect for those people yeah because they are there doing that in the free time and and that's very important without them we wouldn't have those great tools and that's super super important hmm. okay well super interesting this is not something that we hear every day like a like the, the open source money and how everything is linked. Uh, super, super great insight. Thanks a lot. Uh, I would like to uh, drift a little bit and, and go on the computer vision, uh, mm -hmm, on your mm -hmm. computer vision experience. Um, I would like to, to do another large question because I feel like uh, I'm learning so much from it and I would like to have your... Um, I would like to try to capture with you and to share with the audience um, your vision of uh, computer vision today and, and, and the field and how it's evolving. So my question would be, could you maybe take us through a project uh, that you had to, to do a specific thing? Uh, for example, I remember in our first call, you, you mentioned like um, how to count in a polygon zone uh, people, for example, but mm -hmm. uh, it can be this example or any examples that you have in mind where you mm -hmm. share a little bit the process of training a model uh, and like the approach and, and maybe like your framework and uh, and then, yeah, and then further than that, like your vision on computer vision today. So 
I would say those are two different questions. Like exactly. the first one is, is vision on computer vision today is that this field is one of the most exciting fields uh, that you can work right now for sure. Okay. Obviously NLP is right now completely, you know, crazy uh, if you are working there, but the reality is that the, there is not a lot of difference between NLP and computer vision yeah. models right now because how how everything evolved, yeah. So back back in the day, back in the day, which is like five years ago, uh, the approaches were completely different. And now, because of the you know power of transformers and and how they shaped the landscape of deep learning, the tools mm -hmm. are very similar. Mm -hmm. So first of all, if you think about it, very exciting exciting time to join. Uh, contrary to many people, I think that it's not the end. Like many people think that, you know, we are accelerating so fast that software engineers in general will will not survive uh, the next decade. Um, I think it, you know, it will be completely different work than we are doing right now, but we will survive. Mm -hmm. But... Um, when it comes to um, to computer vision, like if you want to pursue, it will be very exciting, but it will be also demanding uh, mm -hmm. in some sense. So if I would stick with the models that I was using five years ago, most likely makes no sense. Yeah. So yeah. you need to be willing to educate yourself i wouldn't say like on a daily basis because you know people very frequently like say oh it's super hard to to be in this industry because you need to like like every other day you need to do read, read papers i wouldn't say it's true i wouldn't say it's true it's like you need to be willing to from time to time spend weekend reading stuff running some demo project, you know, be open-minded and don't have this approach that, oh, I learned the right way to do those things. And that mm -hmm. right way will be the right way for the next 20 years. Because, yeah. you, okay, let's go with the example that you said. Uh, let's say that you need to count, like, very real-life scenario, yeah? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. computer vision is very exciting, but at the same time, many of those use cases are repetitive yeah so you have very similar problems frequently uh so let's say um counting cars on the on the road i don't know the left lane so how many cars do we have on the left lane and how many cars do we have on the right lane typically what you would do is you would kind of like obviously have detector that can detect cars can be any okay. detector because car is part of Coco data set, which most of the detectors are pre-trained on. So you get the car kind of like for free. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then you need to build some logic to be able to, uh, you know, understand where is the left lane, let's for example say. Yeah? Mm, what yeah. does it mean? Mm. Usually how you do it is you try to make the camera stationary. Okay. So... Because you know when the camera starts to moving, it's it's like the whole problem is like ten times more complicated. Uh, but when the camera is stationary, you define a polygon zone, so you just draw a polygon like that covers the left lane. 
you do some clever uh, math to be able to say that some point of the bounding box is overlapping with that lane or it's completely within that polygon, you know, depending on your, you know, constraints and, you know, what, what the customer uh, uh, thinks that's the right choice. And you count. That's, that, was, that would be the, you know, old school way. So detection... Defi definition of the zone, filtering of detections based on the zone, and some logic to count. Mm. Now, in 2023, we have models that are partially language models and partially computer vision models. Okay. So um, and that means that you pass image and you pass a prompt, very popular uh, word lately, prompt. Uh, prompt engineer. <laughs> prompt engineering, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, funny enough, there are jobs on LinkedIn that are like 100K and that's what that's your title, prompt engineer. So, <laughs> that's wild. Uh, so it's wild, something that, you know, I wouldn't expect uh, to happen, but regardless. And those models can be powerful enough so that you don't need to do anything more than just say, tell me how many cars are on the left lane hmm. straight away. And it will return you the output. Yeah. Wow. So is it the right choice for your project? Maybe not. Maybe you would go with the traditional way. Yeah, obviously, with the traditional way, you have the benefit of you know what is happening. You know how many cars you detected. You know yeah. why some cars are detected and why some are not detected. You have all those steps that you can check the logic and understand how it happened. Mm -hmm. Here you have kind of like the black box. You just get the answer and that's it. But it is possible. Yeah. So if you think about it, how, how much coding time, how, how much hours are saved by doing this you know this task the new way even though that it has downsides versus the old way which would require you know a ton of utilities to you know write that i i i just i just said you just need to figure out mathematically how it you know the car is in the zone like that part is already a pretty interesting part and you need to test that logic you need to write tests to make sure that it will behave so this is what it is. Like this is computer vision right now. You have, and you, I even I even glanced on the fact that before deep learning, we had like very traditional computer vision and many people are still trying to solve many of those complicated projects with a traditional computer vision, like binarization, clustering of those pixels. And it's like, in terms of speed, it is most likely the fastest way to solve those things because you just operate on that met, you know, on that matrix of numbers and you do clever things. Uh, and it's still possible, you know, I don't know, there is a conveyor and you have white objects moving on a dark conveyor and you need to count how many there are. Like it is faster to do this way. Yeah, to just to just do binarization and clever math to calculate how many objects you have. Mm -hmm. So it is it is crazy because right now I would say that you have those three approaches. You, you have the super traditional one. You have this approach that is fairly modern, but um, is is slowly 
going away because there is this new way of super powerful transformers that are capable of understanding multimodal language uh, models that like like they are professionally uh, named so they can understand image videos many cases and text and uh, yeah this is we will be another big shift because those models are kind of like already useful in many occasions but it's still like fairly frequently they're not powerful yet enough but you know given the fact like where where were we two years ago uh yeah it it can be i i can be pretty sure that in two three years those models will be powerful enough to handle those tasks and now it comes all of that comes to maybe speed because the inference on that model will be potentially slower because of the billions parameters that you need to have versus the you know fast yolo algorithm for example or or the super old school way so that's another reason why i don't think that software engineers will die in the next five years (laughs) because you still need to have those uh, this understanding and be capable of understanding which of those scenarios can be applied in which situation um and the pros and cons and and stuff like that but a mm-hmm. uh, very exciting field right now um yeah i think that is one of the best choices that you can do if you think about doing computer science right now it's nlp or computer vision the mm-hmm. most exciting one for sure wow you've heard it the most exciting um, yeah, I love my work. I, I can work like <laughs> 14 hours. Like people ask me, do you sleep? I, I, I do, but I work a lot and somehow I, I'm still exciting about what I'm doing, which can tell you that if you have the right mindset and right character, it will be super interesting, you know, mm. to work in that field. Yeah, totally. No, and I feel it's I feel that it's super interesting and, and I totally agree those jobs aren't going to disappear because we they they will evolve for sure, but the person who is able to say why we're doing what we're doing, like why we're using this special model, even if it's like already trained and it have like those parameters trained and you just have to do some fine-tuning and everything. And and this will go improving better this will improve more and more and more but i feel like those jobs won't disappear it's like you said they will just evolve into but we we will always need to understand this person if i can just interrupt like i think that even open ai in what they call paper which was rather a marketing material but that's a different story they even say that their jobs that are fairly safe maybe they don't talk about the particular job but about the uh properties as constructive thinking and criticism something that will uh, allow you to keep your job as those two things Mm. Uh, because those models tend to hallucinate and to do all sorts of different things and being able to constructively criticize what you see is the thing that will you know, will be mm-hmm. very important in the upcoming years for sure. No, this is a super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, I, I really believe that those profiles are just going to evolve and like the capacity to understand value, to like have the ideas of where to implement things. I feel like this is going to be the most, the most important skill. It's like, how, how can I apply through my technical vision all the knowledge that I know to solve the 
business issues, problem in the application I'm working on, etc. And uh, super interesting. Um, uh, I've seen the other day, uh, like, I'm pretty sure that you mentioned like the combination of uh, deep learning in uh, computer vision and NLP, natural language, natural, lat, whoop, sorry, natural language processing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that very, very soon we're going to have uh, assistants that can do things for us uh, while we work. Like kind of Jervis in Iron Man, like where he's like, okay, uh, Jervis um, increases by 70% or what should be the approach or what should be more appropriate with that. And I truly feel that one skill that uh, is going to be very interesting is how how AI is not going to replace people, but how AI is going to enhance the capacity of ones to go faster through um, the ideas, the construction, like building things and um, and getting things done. And I feel like uh, this is a, a big, uh, this is something that is not too far from now. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, what do you think about that? Uh, I have plenty of discussions about it lately. <laughs> uh, one with my friend yesterday, uh, I guess another one like a week ago also. So I talk about those things uh, uh, constantly. So I think that to be fair, there there will be plenty of jobs who will be replaced. I think that's the reality. Yeah. So, uh, or if not fully replaced, they, the amount of work simply in that field will force people to change career paths because, mm -hmm. um, put it simply, if if there is like X amount of work and that amount of work will not increase, but it's automated in 90%, that means that you still need people, but you need them less. Yeah. Like so, that. so I think that there, there will be a, large shift uh, in uh, in that area that I think that there will be a lot of positive and negative stories that you will hear about. You will hear, hear about how, you know, chatbots, not necessarily chat GPT, because I feel that there will be competition in that field. Uh, so generally speaking, like assistants and chatbots will uh improve the work and increase the productivity and you will hear how people describe like success stories um but also i i really believe that there will be a lot of negative stories yeah mm -hmm. and i feel that you know anybody who is saying otherwise and uh, believe in it will increase my productivity but 90 percent sure your but there will be like 10 other people who will, you know, not benefit from that directly. But I think that on the whole society level, after that initial storm where staff will, you know, where, where you need to adjust, many people will need to adjust on the society level, it will uh, be positive factor. Mm -hmm. um, because it will unlock people who un at this stage, we're doing repetitive, boring work in many occasions. Mm -hmm. They will be able to do other things. And uh, if you think about it globally, that will be beneficial process. Um, 
but on the on the you know per capita level like it all kind of like depends what you do mm. um so there's that um in terms of like our field uh i feel that um we are at risk of being automated but i feel that uh, those people who have constructive thinking and criticism um will prevail uh because even right now i mean like very a lot of people get fascinated by the output that you can get from gpt i don't know i don't know how to code in swift and i created this app sure you created that is it is it is it the best possible app that you can get is that the peak of engineering possibilities probably no probably it's it's not the well optimized with the best ui with the best things so um there are definitely places where you will see like the like the shift in ways people are doing things i i feel like design for example will be one of those things like i think that ux engineers will have like either they adjust or they will not survive uh, from what i feel what i'm seeing but when it comes to the coding part i think that it's still um, a lot of things that we will need to do i i am wor- worried about one thing which is junior engineers hmm. like this is my my kind of like my thesis is right now that there is no reason for companies to hire junior engineers anymore hmm. because other than you know you feeling responsible for you yeah. know maintaining the balance in the industry yeah. but think about it like what is the job that you usually give to junior engineers simple repetitive uh, low level of entry work that you give them because a you don't want to do it yourself uh, and somebody needs to do it and for b which is kind of like the byproduct of it because they need to learn yeah and right now i feel that this is the this is the place where there is no point there's no point because relatively speaking like if you will hire junior engineer and they will use google copilot uh, github copilot sorry they can they they will do a, you know they will write the prompt trust the output and submit the pr that senior engineer will review so the senior engineer can just write the prompt themselves do all the changes and do it this way so my worry right now is that the junior engineers are in danger species basically because there is no you know and you still need to pay them yeah so company if they need to cut costs they can drop them and don't lose a lot of productivity at the same mm. time mm. because of the automation that is coming with with those uh, tools mm. I I also see so I agree uh, a lot of things the ratio uh, uh, compared to the industry right now is going to to be modified in terms of like how many juniors do we have in the team I would also add that 
if I'm scaling my team and if I'm building a bigger team and 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 I want uh, and and I know that some of my very experienced employees might go somewhere else, and I need. So if I see big, I need them to teach their knowledge to younger people who who can like do the the criticize uh, thinking and 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 like understand if this prompt output uh, is a uh, is um is interesting or how can I do it better and and I feel like maybe the focus will just switch between all right you're the junior do this okay you're the junior do this the junior is going to use the prompt and 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 have a feedback but then the challenge comes here like okay I have this how can I improve it and how can I use the prompt to improve it and so the junior instead of doing the repetitive task again and again and again now the junior have a base from where to go to and he have to tweak things so that it matches the demand of the senior and so if either if he does it by using the prompt or or asking to another senior or another junior i feel like we leave out the part the very boring part that you're a junior and you have to to eat and you can directly go and try to solve the problems that your senior is trying to solve. And so let, let's see how it goes. I talked with Ricardo on, on one episode and ex- explained me uh, this, this overview of the economy of mm-hmm. how very low, uh, low jobs in terms of like very repetitive mm-hmm. are going to be replaced. But one interesting economy should be, all right, so now that those jobs are doing, I bring down by robots, we're going to create a tax on the person who is who is having this robot and who is generating this money. And this task is going to be money that is going to be paid to the people who should be doing these uh, jobs. And the interesting thing part about that is that now these people are earning money, not doing this boring job anymore, so that they have more time to focus on other type of tasks that today's have value. And so... From this approach and this perspective, it's like upgrading the um, things that no one's want to do and people were doing. Now these people have a, like financial compensation for not having these jobs and can focus on new different things uh, that makes more sense today because now we have this first level of, uh, of jobs automated. I don't know, just some mm-hmm. thoughts that I wanted to add to your opinion. So sure, it, it can happen, depends on the society. Yeah. So if you, because that, what, what you described, it, it wouldn't be um, straight away society that we live right now. Maybe in Europe, maybe there are some European countries that have this level of um, consciousness about everybody in the country. But I would say the straight away uh, open market uh, approach wouldn't give you this this effect that you described. Yeah. So mm-hmm. some, something would need to be changed about the uh, mindset of of people, and I'm not for sure that you can uh, you know expect something like that to happen in US, for example. Because you US tend to be very, I want kind of like I want to have as little as much of the government if my in my life. Yeah. And what you describe right now is kind of like 
the government enforces that mechanism so that the balance in the society is prevailed. So I would say it can happen, but it will require a little bit of uh, uh, influence and, you know, it, it, it's I can I can imagine a scenario that is significantly worse than that. So uh, we we just need to. Um, so that's one of the things that I feel right now is very important. We just need to educate people. Like uh, this is happening. That this is this is potential scenario. This is potential future. If you vote in elections, for example, you need to be mindful of that. That there there are going to be challenges. Um, and people who you choose as your representative, uh, they need to be able to solve those problems. They need to be able to cope with those challenges and somehow create solutions. Um, and that's why you need to educate like people that are like simple people, people who have no, uh, no stake in AI. They don't uh, work as CV engineers or NLP engineers. They they just do regular jobs, but they still need to be aware of what is going on. And this is like happened on so many levels. Obviously, this is like very level of governments and society. And how do you manage this? There are simple simple levels like disinformation, and you still need to. Uh, invest into education in the society so that they can understand that whatever they see, hear, read can be effect of, uh, you know, hostile actor that is just trying to disinform people. And of course, people tend to be aware that whatever is written can cannot be trusted 100%, although... There is this whole, like, I read it in newspaper or I read it in internet uh, kind of like mindset that somehow adds credibility. Uh, I don't know why. Um, But right now, whatever you see or or hear can also be not real. And that's another place where you need to invest into, into education. So I would say that right now it will be one of the key challenges is how do you make sure that people somehow will be still able to exist in this world in like five years, which is like, I, I was, I was joking a few, few weeks ago when the, there was this explosion of new models, like Microsoft released this update and this update, and we have uh, a GPT-4 and we have like uh, models from Facebook and from Stanford and everybody, everybody was releasing stuff in like single week. And I was like, how do people expect me to explain to my mother <laughs> when I will come go home and I will talk to her, like how much the world just changed or it will change in the next few months? Mm. Just very, very like this is key challenge in my opinion. Like how do we make sure that society will not split yeah, into the, the, those people who were up to date enough that they are still somehow holding on and they exist and those people who just who are just so far behind that there is no chance of including them into the society in in few years yeah so Mm. yeah this is super challenging i would love to 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 talk more about um ai ethics challenges and uh 
And oh my God, there are a lot of things that are coming. A lot of uh, like the I don't know how by how many times the information and disinformation is going to be multiplied, but uh, that's going to be wild. Mm-hmm. And just one machine can produce so much false content yeah. and be spreading it. And the fun thing we discussed it previously, but uh, this is crazy how false information grows so fast on social media and how when you try to explain the real thing no one cares and no one yeah but so, that's, um... so this is this is the thing like when you try to explain it's not real like how many people yeah. will be in that comment yeah. section with you and they will read your comment versus yeah. how many people have already reshared the original post and it's you know and it's spreading and also how little time investment right now you need to have to create that content. Because sure, we had Photoshop before and yeah. it was possible for those people to create falsified content before. Yeah. It's just you need to have skilled person for multiple hours to create a single image. And right now you just write a prompt in mid-journey and it will create 100 images for you. Exactly. So, so, but on the other hand, my friend is saying, but that only gives that power to regular people. Governments were doing things like that uh, for years. so that's another another level of that story is that uh, it stuff like that happened. It just wasn't so common that regular Joe had access to those tools and and right now it will. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, and in cybersecurity, just like to state another example, but now you can you can do malwares that modify themselves. Or like just learn from malware or even spam and phishing (laughs) emails like like right now social engineering like like, yeah social engineering i guess is the main kind of like because malware is like still very sophisticated if you want to do malware that can mutate and change its its posture yeah so that i don't know antiviruses wouldn't be able to detect it because it will behave differently like Social engineering, spear phishing, and all of those things are right now in the rise, I think. Yep. Because you can you can generate email that will be completely different every time. Yeah. And you those very common ways of detecting stuff won't work. And at the same time, I know about it. I mean, people are joking about it, but I think it's very something that will be real problem real soon. It's just uh, in Poland, at least, uh, you frequently have uh, scams that are happening on phone. Like mm. somebody's calling you, pretending that it's somebody else, and they need money. I don't know. It's it's your grandchild that has some accident and he needs to have like thirty k, whatever. Yeah. Mm. And right now, people are are already thinking about now. It can. Actually, the person on the other side of the phone can actually speak the voice of your grandchild, potentially, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And that opens up like people are already joking that you need to have safe word that you know you will say when whenever stuff like that will happen. It's just I don't know. It's like banana. It's really me. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that people would know yeah. that it's actually you. Yeah. So it's it's like you know it's like yeah. crazy from that perspective. Yeah, no, totally. I feel like big goal is like how regulation and how like privacy of people are going to be, because since the beginning, it's like when one technology improve on like the offensive side on cybersecurity, then the defense with other tools. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it have always been like that, but now that it's going so fast, 
and there are so many ways to do things and I don't want to state IDs, <laughs> but there are so many things. This is so challenging for the defense part because the attacks can grow in a lot of directions. So how do we make the defense grow in all these directions? And maybe we'll have to find innovative ways to, to like do things differently. Or, But uh, this is to be seen. And, uh, and this has been a, a long time since we started. And, and I also want to, to respect your time. I think you, 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 you might have some, some appointments. So I have, if that's cool with you, two little questions to, to finish. Sure. Um, so the first one is, uh, how can people look more into what you do? Uh, like you have LinkedIn, you have GitHub. Do you want to, do you have mm -hmm. other places where people can reach out to you or learn more about you? Mm -hmm. So the thing that I do is mostly GitHub and YouTube. Um, okay. So, but being on my GitHub, you will find the YouTube link for sure. Uh, and the f place where I respond to people writing to me is mostly LinkedIn. Uh, I know it's typically in tech, it's mostly mostly Twitter for many people, yeah. uh, but for me, it's mostly LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out with any ideas or I don't know, just just to hey hi, say hi or whatever, uh, it's there. There awesome. I'm the most in most active. Let's say I'll put I'll put all the link in the description. So last question, uh, it is, uh, well, first of all, before the last question, thank you again, Peter, for coming on the podcast. I no worries, so my pleasure. This is big, and I'm looking, I look forward to, to learn, read more, learn more about what you do. Uh, uh, you're uh, one of the, Christine recommended to contact uh, you. Uh, we, we've done uh, an episode recently, and mm -hmm. uh, your job is very inspiring, and your vision too. So thanks a lot again for coming on the podcast. Uh, no. Last question. Mm -hmm. Would you have a message for the Let's Talk AI community, for the people who are still with us listening? Would you have a, a final word, a message, so that we can uh, uh, all go back home with uh, your uh, your last message? Um, I would say stay curious. That's the, that's the name of the game, in my opinion. So... And that applies to all the topics that we covered, like whether it's, it's the security, whether or not it's generative AI, whether or not it's open source, just stay curious uh, and, and, you know, don't, don't stop looking for new things and new answers. Uh, and, and that's the best strategy to move forward, I would say. So, so mm. yeah, that, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> okay you've heard it so stay curious guys uh, and I'll see you in the next uh, Let's Talk AI episode have a wonderful day thank you Peter thank you very much congrats you've made it to the end I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things to learn more about AI you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog and to support the podcast you can give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify you can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.